Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Our first scripture for this morning comes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. Listen now for the word of the Lord. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all people, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My name is Darren Nettleton. I am the Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries here at Knox, and I am glad to be in worship with you this morning. How long, O Lord, how long must we suffer in the hands of the unrighteous? How long will the wicked prosper? How long must evil abound? When will you return and become all in all? With your name hallowed, your kingdom come, your will done. How long, O Lord? These are the questions that animate the book of Revelation, which is our scripture for this morning. And these are the questions to which Revelation comes as encouragement that God is in control an exhortation to remain faithful. Characteristically, God does not see fit to give John and the church exactly the answers we seek. God offers to John a vision, a series of visions of past, present, and future, peeling back the veneer of this world to display the depths of reality and truth just behind, just underneath what can be seen with our eyes of flesh. In our passage for this morning, John sees a glimpse of a future day. And not just any future day, but the very day that we long for, the one that we pray for each week of the arrival, the final permanent and glorious arrival of God's kingdom. It's that day that the words from Isaiah we're speaking about as well. We've been catching glimpses of this kingdom for several weeks now, and last week we discovered that it is indeed here already in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the down payment, the first fruits, the foretaste of God's kingdom, but that it is also not yet. Sin and death and sorrow have not yet been banished. In coming weeks, we will return to the present to ponder what it means to live faithfully in the midst of this already not yet world. But today, 
Today, we lift our eyes beyond the muck and mire of this terrestrial plane to discover the sure and certain hope God has promised. Human wisdom cannot reveal to us this future, nor logic, nor great worldly insight. Only God's revelation has made this known. And so we must ask for eyes to see and ears to hear the mystery of the final end for which all was made and to which God has directed the history of the cosmos. Let us pray. God, as we open your word, we pray that by it you would speak. Give us ears to hear, Lord, the truth of who you are and who we are in light of you in these words of your servant, John. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. From Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and following. Then I saw a great white throne and the one who sat on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Also, another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And all were judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. In a moment without time, in a place that belongs to nowhere, On the great and terrible day of the Lord, when the very earth, the earth created by God, the good and very good, 
wrenched out of the warp and weft of the formless void, has fled from the presence of God. And the heavens as well, the vault above, the realm of God and angels has fled from before the throne. All that remains in in this cosmic void is the throne itself, righteous and without fault of judgment or wisdom, and the one who is seated on the throne, the one who has always been on the throne and always will be on the throne, the one who has no equal on the earth or under the earth or above the earth, the one whose presence whose very presence is like thunder and lightning, a fury of power and might filling sight and sound at once above and below, before and behind, with no end in sight. The proper response to this one, which is always and only fear and awe and submission. Satan and his minions, the beast of the sea and the beast of the land, and his servant, Babylon, a harlot who has seduced so many and slaughtered countless more, they are not to be found. They have already received their judgment. Just before our reading for this morning in chapter 20, Satan mustered his armies, they sharpened their plowshares into swords, and they marched on the heavenly city, drunk and foolish in their schemes, self-assured, but ultimately without any hope, or future. And before Satan and his minions could raise a shout against the Lord God, before a command was given, an arrow loosed, a sword raised, they were no more. God's judgment, swift and true, becoming wrath in its encounter with evil and injustice, consumed them. And so only three remain the sea, Hades, and death. Two of these, the sea and Hades, they represent a kind of holding place for the dead, a waiting room. And from their bowels, God calls for the dead to rise and God empties each in turn. The sea emptied of those who died on the water, Hades emptied of those who died on land. And lastly, death itself. The rider on a pale green horse the common end of all mortal creatures, the only one remaining of the powers and principalities who stand against the Lord God of hosts, death takes its turn in this final encounter with the holy and living God, and death does not survive. Death and his loyal follower, Hades, are judged and found wanting. The fire of God's holy and righteous judgment burns against them, swallowing them up, and they are no more. And the book of life is searched, and all those whose names are not found in that book, a book written from the foundations of the earth, a, a book whose full title is the book of the Lamb who the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Any and all who are not found in that book will likewise be cast into the lake of fire. And with this, God has cleared the way for God's kingdom. The earth and the heavens, which have fled, are now renewed as a site for this eternal kingdom. And please note, it's the new heavens and the new earth. Not just a heaven 
Our future is not a disembodied spiritual zen floating on clouds in togas playing harps. The kingdom of God is a new heaven and a new earth. It's not annihilation and abandonment of the cosmos that God labored over, followed by an escape to heaven, but a renewal, restoration, and recreation here on earth. The things of this world will not simply be destroyed. You and I will not fly away to another land, but just as you and I will be renewed and restored in the age to come, our, ourselves still and yet changed, so too will the earth persist, healed of its former brokenness. And these two realms, earth and heaven, the dwelling place of creatures, the dwelling place of God, will overlap completely, permanently, and finally. This is what God has desired since Adam and Eve were first in the garden. God longed to be with to live alongside and amongst God's creation, us. Sin and death and unrighteousness and impurity led to the separation of the heavens and the earth. But God offered a way throughout the whole of scripture for just a a bit of contact between these two realms. First the tabernacle, then the temple, as this small place where the earth and heaven overlapped. Then came Jesus, himself the overlap between heaven and earth. And right now it's us, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the church, the body of Christ. We are this overlap, this partial overlap of heaven and earth. But this vision is a vision of a perfect and complete identity between these two realms. See, the home of God is among mortals. The presence of God entails absence too. Absence of tears. Absence of death, of mourning, of crying, of pain. This is very good news. The hurt and pain that marks human life, death, which is common to all mortal creatures, these things are not permanent, we discover. They are not necessary. They are not essential to God's creation. Aberrant results of the fall of sin and brokenness, they are temporary. Their power is limited, constrained, and confined, and ultimately will come to an end. There is no place for these things in the kingdom of God, and they will not be found there. And John notes that the sea as well is not to be found. This is not a geographical claim about God's kingdom, please note. The sea throughout the book of Revelation is a a symbol of chaos and disorder, We saw just above that the sea serves as a kind of waiting room for those who die at sea. Of course, what need is there for such a graveyard when death is no more? But also it's a symbol of chaos and disorder. Great beasts come out of the sea. The sea cannot be 
uh, tamed, it threatens life and limb. And so all these things, the chaos, the disorder, the threat that the sea represents, those will have no home in God's heavenly city. Order reigns. And so the sea, John says, is no more. But we should note that John's vision is not a complete and exhaustive account of the end of the age. It does not give us a full picture either of the place that we call hell or of the place that we call heaven, though hopefully now you realize it should be called heaven and earth, the new heaven and earth, God's kingdom. We cannot compile a full doctrine either of the kind of life we will live in the presence of the Lord, nor can we compile a full doctrine of the future of those who will not be in the presence of the Lord from this book alone. What does John give us then? Well, the opening chapters of Revelation address seven churches in seven cities. And John intends for us to find our own church and our own experience amongst the lives of these seven churches and to read ourselves into the story of these churches. Two of the churches need no rebuke as they have been and continue to be faithful even in the face of suffering, death, and persecution. Several of the churches need both rebuke and encouragement as they uh, find success and faithfulness along the way, but also failure and sin. And a couple of the churches receive only rebuke, for they have so fallen from their faith and their witness that uh, they need to be restored. The book of Revelation, the visions that John receives, are intended to bolster the faith of the church. To encourage on the one hand, and on the other, to offer a strong enough rebuke of sin to lead to genuine repentance and reconciliation. So the visions of the judgment of God and the kingdom of God are not the full description of either. That's not their goal. Rather, they are written to the church as encouragement to continue in faithfulness and exhortation to repent of sin and be reconciled to God. And should we have ears to hear these visions, we'll do just that. We may not delight in pondering the judgment of God. We may not hear this as good news. We may not be accustomed to being told that the gospel of Jesus Christ includes God's judgment. But it it is good news, and the gospel is not complete without it. It is good news first because it is God who does the judging. Not a jury of our peers, or worse, a jury of our enemies, those whom we failed to love, failed to forgive, failed to treat as God's children, but it is God who judges. God, our loving heavenly parent who knit us in our mother's womb, who knew our name before the foundation of the universe, who sent his only son to die for us. That is the God who stands as judge. Who else would we want? 
Who else would be merciful and just, perfect in his decree, but the God of Abel and Cain, the God of Rahab the prostitute, the God of Saul who murdered Christians? It is good news that God is the one who will be our judge. And it is good news because there will be judgment. Perhaps we do not feel the need for judgment on our own behalf, but we can certainly imagine the need for judgment on behalf of others. Christians in other nations who meet in secret, who smuggle Bibles to neighbors, who fear government spies, they long for God's righteous judgment. The women and children sold as slaves even here in our own country They long for God's righteous judgment. Migrant workers whose labor is exploited, whose bodies are exploited for an agricultural system that pretends they don't exist. Men and women imprisoned by biased and racist courts, innocently behind bars. There are many in our world who long for God's true and righteous judgment. They may die before such judgment comes on earth, frail as human judgment is, but they will know a day when God acknowledges their suffering, sees their pain, heals their hearts, and judges on their behalf. God's judgment is essential to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we we see this in the vision that John receives. In order for the kingdom of God to be a place without sorrow or sickness, without pain or brokenness, those very things have to be removed. They have to be dealt with. They have to be addressed. They can't be ignored. That is God's judgment. Not only the powers that give rise to such evil, Satan and his minions, the forces of chaos, death itself, but any and all who would persist in such evil in God's kingdom. But it's not a secret. The book of Revelation does not hide a secret about what God wants from us, what God desires from us, what God is calling us towards. The scene of judgment gives way to a scene of life, eternal glorious and glorified in the very presence of God to live and move and have our being in the eternal light of Christ, to worship and honor God all the days of our endless lives in bliss and delight in the new heavens and the new earth. That's not a mystery and it's not up to chance. That's what God wants for us. That's what God created us for. It's not a maybe, it's not a perhaps, it's the future. It's God's future. Founded on the lamb who was slain, God's kingdom will come one day. How long, O Lord? We do not know. But we do know this. God knows the good that you have done in his name and by his power. From before time, God wrote your name in the book of life and God longs to dwell with you 
in the kingdom of God. So keep it up. Keep it up. Be faithful. Repent. Be reconciled. And be faithful. And we will celebrate together at the great heavenly banquet at the end of the age to come to walk with God once more all the days of our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.